Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, or I'm making it be filled by the Spirit. So we come to this subject of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And there are two possible opposite reactions. There are those who say, about time too. This is the subject that uh, we really need. And for them, it would appear to confirm uh, their doctrine of an experience subsequent to conversion, an experience that they need to have power for the Christian life or to be made holy in the Christian life. And for most of them, they would say it's evidenced by speaking in tongues. In other words, you know that you've been filled by the Spirit when you speak in tongues. But there's an opposite reaction, isn't there? And probably this is more uh, like ourselves. We react in embarrassment. We don't like that emotional uh, emphasis. But effectively, we then ignore the work of the Holy Spirit. And that is perhaps more dangerous. It's of the greatest importance, of course, to establish the true teaching about the Holy Spirit because without this filling, you and I cannot live a Christian life to the glory of God. That was the whole context of Ephesians 5, wasn't it? Walk. This is the way you to live and part of this is being filled by the Spirit. You'll notice it's both a prohibition. Don't be drunk with wine. And it's both a command to be filled by the Spirit. It's for everyone. It's not for special people. It's plural, the you. It's for the whole church in Ephesus. It's for every Christian, not for special individuals. And it's always, it's not just a one-time experience. The way that Paul wrote this in the original language is really to say, keep on being filled by the Spirit. This should be a daily, lifelong experience. Please don't be afraid if I can say that. This is so important and it must be true of you and of me. So I've got three things to say to you this morning. Three questions. First of all, what does filled by the Spirit mean? You'll notice, first of all, as we consider the meaning, that there are two contrasts here. There's a contrast by wine or with wine, by the Spirit, with the Spirit. 
And of course, we all know only too sadly that when too much wine or alcohol has been consumed, it results in dissipation, in my translation, in debauchery. Let me explain what that word means to those of you who are not familiar with it. What Paul actually wrote was not saving. The problem is with wine, with alcohol, is when someone's had too much, they're unable to help themselves. They're unable to save themselves. He now becomes abandoned to his whims. There's no self-control. As you know, alcohol is a depressant. It subdues the mind and it lets the desires and the emotions gain the upper hand. I don't need to say any more, do I? We all sadly know firsthand or certainly from reports of the words and the actions of one who is under the influence. But it's there in the Bible, isn't it? It began with Noah. Continued with Lot. What a dangerous thing it is then. Whether it be wine, spirits, beer. In Kenya, it's basically a local brew made illicitly. But what a dangerous thing it is leading to death and to untold misery. But in the same way that wine controls so the Holy Spirit is to control and the results are the opposite as you will see so there's the contrast between wine and the spirit and then there's the contrast between a debauchery or dissipation, and the self-control that the Holy Spirit brings. You'll find that, for example, in Galatians 5 and verse 23, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. This is so important. You know, there are those who teach that when you are filled by the Spirit, then you are spiritually intoxicated. So you do all sorts of bizarre, as we would say, emotional things. They talk about being overpowered by the Spirit. <clears throat> so they do strange things like being slain in the Spirit, uncontrollable laughter and rolling around very immodestly on the floor. Uh, you know those things only too well. That is not the contrast, of course, that's here. It's not between a wine that makes you lose your self-control and the Holy Spirit who makes you lose your self-control. Indeed, when Paul deals with this whole problem in Corinth about uh, speaking in tongues and prophecy, he says that God is a God of order. 1 Corinthians 14. 32 and 33. As we should go on in the next weeks, those who are overcome with wine start singing, don't they? 
may sing anything, sing lewd songs, but we sing spiritual songs. Verse 19. After wine has had its effect, they have a miserable hangover. <laughs> but our hangover is not misery, but it's joy. Verse 19. When people overcome with wine, they can say anything. They curse, they argue. But we give thanks. Verse 20. When people are overcome with wine, invariably it leads to brawling. But the Holy Spirit brings mutual submission. Verse 21. So I hope you see the the great contrast that there is even here in the context. So those are the contrasts. Then will you note that this is not something that you do, but it's something that's done to you. Be filled. It's done to you that you must not hinder. You don't fill yourself. Someone else fills you, but it's your responsibility to make sure that it happens by not putting a block in the way. I'm speaking to you this morning. I think my voice is loud enough. And unless you're totally deaf, you can all hear me, but you can choose to block it out, can't you? Uh, by your mind being somewhere else completely. So the vibrations are there, but it means nothing to you whatsoever. To, to hear and to benefit from what's being spoken, you have to let it enter your mind. You see, it's very possible to hinder the work of the Holy Spirit. Back in chapter 4 and verse 30 of Ephesians, Paul has written, don't grieve the Spirit. It's possible to grieve him so that you don't know the, the power and grace of his presence. And of course, we grieve him when we don't do what he tells us to do. When the instructions that are here in these chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians, we simply uh, ignore them. And say, I won't do it. I'm going to go my own way. He is grieved, just like any parent is grieved when the child says, no, and says it repeatedly. Remember that the Spirit is sent by our risen Lord in order to get us filled. This is a great blessing of the new covenant, the Holy Spirit. So don't block, but be filled. So we must now, as we ask what it means, try to understand what is it then that fills us? And it will surprise you, it's probably surprised some of you already, that it's not actually here the Holy Spirit who is the content of the filling. He is the one who does the filling. 
If you were to look into the, the grammar, as Paul wrote, the, the structure here is never used of the thing that fills. If you go back to chapter 4 and verse 30, you have a perfect example of that. Where it says, verse 30 of chapter 4, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. It's exactly the same construction. It could be then translated with whom, but by whom is better. In other words, uh, it's the Holy Spirit who seals you. And here it's the Holy Spirit who fills you. And there's much about the uh, experience of fullness here in this letter. You know, one basic way of interpreting the Bible is to take, say, the letter of Ephesians as a whole and look how the author uses ideas and how he repeats them. And he expects us to remember what he wrote in the, what we now have as the previous chapter. Don't you think? Just as you would if you, you write a letter. And so fullness appears here in chapter 1 and verse 23. The church is the fullness of him. That's Christ who fills all in all. Talks under the fullness of Christ. In chapter 319, we have the most amazing statement where Paul prays that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Not just a fullness of the Holy Spirit, but a fullness of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In chapter 4 and verse 10 again, Christ has ascended that he might Fill all things. It's Christ filling all things. Chapter 4, verse 13. When we grow up into Christian maturity, then that's called the fullness of Christ. When it says, don't get drunk with wine, it's the wine that is the means of getting drunk. When he says, be filled by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the means of being filled with all the fullness of God. I don't understand that. It's such a deep, big concept. Now, you might ask, and I think you should. Okay, you're emphasizing that it's not the Holy Spirit himself who, who is the thing that fills us but he's the one who brings the fullness why is that important you should always ask that question because nothing is revealed in the Bible that's not important well it's important first of all because it's in the Bible you know anything that God chooses to reveal must be important because all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable but we need to be accurate because there is so much emphasis in certain quarters on the Holy Spirit 
to the exclusion of the other persons of the Trinity. Christians, the Bible is our Trinitarian. We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. And there's a very fundamental error today. First of all, to become a Christian, you go to Christ, which is very true. Go to Christ and you are saved from your sins. After a while, you realize that you're not living the sort of life of power or of holiness that you should. So now you go on from Christ to the Holy Spirit and you want to experience him. You know, that's a fundamental error. Because the Holy Spirit is sent from Christ. And he comes to glorify Christ. And any professed work of the Holy Spirit, which doesn't find its center in Christ, is probably not a genuine work of the Holy Spirit. Indeed, our Lord doesn't only say, when I go away, I'll send you the Holy Spirit. He says in John 14, 23, he says, if you love me, my Father and I will come to you. That's an amazing statement, isn't it? Yeah. Never talk about one person of the Godhead to the exclusion of the others. Where one is, all three are. God can't be uh, divided up. Now, there is a filling of the Spirit for a particular task, like you have in the book of Acts, where Peter stands up and he's filled with the Spirit. It's a totally different uh, way of writing it. He's filled with the Spirit, and so for that particular moment, He's able to speak words that he couldn't normally have spoken. So I hope I've shown you uh, what it means. The second thing I want to bring to you this morning is what's the evidence of being filled by the Spirit? How can you know? It's a very important question. Now, often in the Bible, the Spirit is referred to in terms of things so powerful like wind, fire, and today we add electricity. We, of course, have no power over those things as we are reading in the news right now. Sometimes people speak of the Spirit as if he's some force, but not a person. Now, there's no doubt that the Holy Spirit is omnipotent, almighty. He was there at creation as a part of the whole creative process. He has created power. He was able to make the disciples speak in tongues, the tongues of the various nations of people who were present on the day of Pentecost. It's amazing. Powerful miracle, isn't it? Uh, I guess we're quite a few languages here. Uh, and what an amazing thing it would be if those who don't know 
a language, stand up and speak it so that you can understand in your own native tongue. But even then, in, on the day of Pentecost, though the Spirit came with mighty power, they spoke intelligible words. They spoke of the kingdom of God, if you remember. And so there was no basis for the accusation of drunkenness on that day of Pentecost. People spoke very rationally, although no doubt at the height of their powers and beyond. When we think of the power of the Holy Spirit, there are two things that the power of the Spirit does. First of all, he enables people to preach the word boldly and effectively at a particular time. And we who are preachers, we've known a little bit about that. And I'm sure when you've witnessed, you've known a special time or special times when you feel the Holy Spirit has helped you in a way that uh, you didn't anticipate. But the power of the Spirit also produces godly character. On the first, he enables those who are speaking the word, whether publicly or privately, at a particular time, in a particular situation, to speak boldly and effectively. But there's something he does constantly. He produces character, godly character. And you see this in Acts as well uh, a number of times. I'm going to refer you to a few verses in Acts, uh, chapter 6 and verse 3, where it talks about the seven who were to be appointed to serve at tables. And it says, pick out seven men full of the Spirit and of wisdom. That means the Spirit's powerful work in these men produced in them a special character of wisdom. Or you have uh, chapter 6, verse 5, where Stephen is a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 13, just one more example. You have an amazing example where they are kicked out of Antioch. They shake the dust of their feet. And we read in Acts 13 and verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So these characters, wisdom, faith, joy, these are all the products of the Holy Spirit. And I want to suggest to you that this is something of what Paul means in Ephesians 5.18 when he talks about being filled by the Spirit. It's the way to lead a godly life in the church. And that's really verses 19, 20, and 21. In the home. And that's verses 
22, down through chapter 6, verse 4. And at work, and that's chapter 6 of Ephesians, verses 5 to 9. And more about that, but these are the great evidences of being filled by the Spirit. Just think about it. Here's a selfish, careless man. He becomes a Christian. He's filled by the Spirit. And he becomes a loving and devoted husband and father. What a transformation. Sadly, the probation services in prison can't accomplish that, can they? Drugs can't do that. But that's the mighty work of the Holy Spirit. God's whole purpose in giving us Christ and giving us the Spirit is to make us like himself. Just read this letter again. Chapter 4 and verse 24. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God <clears throat> in true righteousness and holiness. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Be imitators of God as beloved children. That's to be our life. That's what we're to strive for. And this then I want to say to you very, very strongly and clearly. <clears throat> this is the great evidence of being filled by the Spirit. That this fruit is produced. Of course, today the emphasis is upon raw power. It's upon spectacular gifts. Do you know? It's possible to display gifts and go to hell. Do you know that? Judas would be one example. And Jesus said to those who say, but Lord, we prophesied in your name. We did many mighty works in your name. He says, I never knew you, your workers of iniquity. Your life has not changed. You're not filled by the Spirit and living a godly life. <clears throat> if you're a real Christian, which I trust that you are, then you are more excited by holiness, being like Christ, than you are by displays of raw power. So please, when you turn that TV on and you just see that acting, and those pretensions to spirit power. Turn it off. Read your Bible. Listen to a sermon. Watch a video about a preacher who's encouraging you to Christ-likeness. That's being filled by the Spirit. We will uh, look at uh, the, the three particular things in the coming weeks, God willing. Then the last thing I want to say to you this morning, how can you be filled by the Spirit? I hope I've explained 
as best I can what it means. It's far too deep, I think. I've shown you the evidence. Now then, how is it possible? How can you be filled by the Spirit? If he's the one giving the fullness of God, how does he accomplish it? What means does he use? Now, I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Some of you may know that the two letters to the Ephesian church and to the Colossian church are very similar. The teaching is the same in many places. We have a very interesting uh, phrase here in Colossians 3.16. Let me read it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Haven't you read that somewhere before? Didn't we read that a little earlier on in Ephesians chapter 5? Didn't we read teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom? We did, you know, in verse 19. Be filled by the Spirit, Ephesians says, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Colossians says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So you see, being filled by the Spirit and letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly are parallel ideas. The word of Christ. That's the preaching about Christ that they had heard and is now written in the scriptures. Let this word dwell in you richly. Now, it's so significant that it's not preaching centered on the Holy Spirit but it's preaching centered upon our Lord Jesus Christ. His saving work upon the cross when he gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins. His perfect example. What does it mean to walk before God? What does it mean to be imitators of God? Be like Christ. So Christ is preached as the perfect example to follow. Now, have you received the Lord Jesus Christ? It's no good going on to being filled by the Holy Spirit unless you have received the Lord Jesus Christ. This gospel that I very simply have spoken to you in the last minute or two, that Christ came and died for our sins because there is no other sacrifice for sin acceptable with God. Have you received that? Do you say, that's true. I'm a sinner before God. 
I know there's nothing I can do. Thank God that he gave Christ so that I can come to him. And if he's the saviour, have you entrusted yourself to him? The saviour, have you come to him and said, Lord, Jesus, like the, the blind man said, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and opened his eyes. When you ask the Lord to be merciful to you, oh, he always hears that cry. It doesn't matter what the noise of the crowd is. That's a cry that goes straight to his heart. So never separate the work of the Holy Spirit from the work of Christ. The Holy Spirit comes to bring us to Christ and his work. And the Holy Spirit has given us the word. The word takes us back to Christ and everything else in our lives, the life of our church, our life at home, our life at work, our life on holiday, is dependent upon the word. Our worship here this morning we only have the, the privilege of worshipping God as he's revealed in his word. How do we pray? It's here in the word. How do we fellowship one with the other? And so on and so forth. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. May it dwell richly in us as a church and in us as individuals. It's like someone knocking at the door. Well, you've got to go to the door, as we well know when we go on door-to-door -door visitation. Uh, but when they've opened the door, then we can talk to them. What you've got to do is to open the door. The word of God is there. The word of God is being spoken. Now and every Sunday, it's there for you to read. Open the door. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I fear that some of you, you're distracted in your minds by other things. And so therefore the word of Christ doesn't dwell in you richly. Some of you, and I think we should say some of us, we are careless about implementing the word. We hear it. It's meaningful, it's challenging. But the birds of the air, as in the parable of the sower, they come and pluck it up and it doesn't bear any fruit at all. God forbid that any of us should say, no, I don't receive that word. My friends, this word, by the working of the Holy Spirit, is the great means of spiritual growth. I'm not telling you anything new, I'm sure. Maybe you lack spiritual joy and usefulness because the word of Christ doesn't dwell richly in you. The sad thing is, wherever you go in the world, many people, is this true of you? They know more about politics, more about music, and more about sport than they know about the word of God. I hope that's not true of you. 
the word of God, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation should be that which claims the first attention of our mind and our heart. We let it dwell richly in us. And pray that the Spirit of God will help you to apply this word to your daily life. That the Spirit of God will guide you through the word into the will of God in every situation. That's our blessed experience. So that we might be pleasing to the Lord. And so each one of us, and together, we might be built up into the image of God in Jesus Christ. May we be filled by the Spirit unto the glory of God. Let's pray, please. Lord, we each one confess that we have a long, long, long way to go in our Christian lives. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have sent your Spirit to uh, sanctify us, to see that we are filled. And please grant that we may be and that we shall live lives that glorify you. Please help those who don't understand this because they're strangers to salvation from their sins. Help them, O oh Lord, to come to you pleading with you to have mercy upon them. Please be gracious, even this morning, as we sit here. Bless your word, Lord, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Saviour, we ask. Amen.